0: Jesus, we trust you. By the power of your word, help us to trust you more with everything in our lives. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, hello to those of you here on this President's Day weekend, those of you in the community center and our middle and high schoolers, the 800 or so of you at home online, thank you all for for being here with us. I want to start by showing some pictures. Here is a satellite image of where I have been for the last two weeks. It's the West Bank, and I was there kind of on a peacemaking trip with a team from our church here and from Overlake Church in Redmond, and we met with both Palestinians and Israelis and heard multiple sides of the conflict from both sides and and explored ways that we as a church could be helpful, and I will talk about all of that in a future sermon. But for today, I just want you to notice how barren and brown it is in the West Bank, except for that line of green vegetation. What is that? That's the Jordan River, right? Or how about this? This is Egypt and all that green foliage and everything. That's the Nile. Or this one. This one. Where's that? That's where I grew up. Barren, bleak, desolate despair, (laughs) Eastern Washington, except the river. The river is awesome. You haven't lived until you go running when it is 110 degrees outside and then jump into the Columbia River. It's invigorating. Well, those images are kind of what Jeremiah, the same kind of image Jeremiah gives in the text we read today where he says if we put our ultimate trust in anything except for God, we become like a brown, barren desert. But if we trust in God, we're like that line of green, those plants and trees by a river, resilient, strong, unafraid, worry-free. And this would have been an important message for the Israelites to hear, because Jeremiah lives at one of Israel's worst times in history, when the Babylonian Empire conquered them and took them into exile for 70 years. They are in a desert experience. And into that desert situation, Jeremiah brings this word of hope. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream." it does not fear when the heat comes its leaves are always green it has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit no worries like wouldn't that be awesome right like no worries. hakuna matata right (laughs) that's hebrew (laughs) or disney i'm not sure which right i'd love to be worry free because you know what everyone has at least one useless skill mine is worry okay it's i've told you this before it's my superhero power Right? There's Batman, there's Superman, I'm Worry Man. Right? Gotham City's in trouble, call in Worry Man. He won't fix it, but he'll fret over it. Now, I have to say, over the years, Jesus has actually helped me get better around this. But for the longest time, I was to worry as Steph Curry is to basketball. And Jeremiah describes what that is like as well in this passage. When he says, cursed is the one who trusts in mere mortals, who draws strength from mere flesh. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives called the (laughs) Tri-Cities. It's a little bit buried in the Hebrew, but it's there. So this passage is the story of two trees. One blessed, one cursed. But I want you to notice something text says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, cursed is the one who trusts in mere mortals. In other words, we're all trusting in something. We all trust in something. They both use the word trust, right? But what we trust in makes all the difference between being stressed out and worried and being resilient even in a season of drought. So what do you trust in? Because we all trust in lots of things. We, we trust in our achievements, our grades, our jobs, our, our abilities, right? That's what Jeremiah means, tr- put, putting our trust in flesh, our own abilities. Let me give you a little test to kind of help you determine what you might trust in. What do you worry about? What, if it disappeared, would cause you despair? That's one of the places you put your trust. Or, on the other side, where do you go to get joy and hope and consolation? Maybe it's to other people or romantic relationships. Some people trust in their ability to kind of intimidate others into giving them what they want. Actually, a lot of people, that's kind of what they trust in. Or maybe it's a political or social cause where you find hope. Years ago, I was invited to speak to a group of college students about God, and none of them were Christian, I was just invited by the RA. And, and I started by asking, well, what do you guys think about God? Silence. I said, oh, come on, you're in college. You've got to think something about God. Silence. So finally in frustration, I said, well, what do you think about, right? And this one woman said, shopping. I think about shopping. Okay, how does one think about shopping? (laughs) Right, like first I'll go to Nordstrom and then Zara. And you're like, for her, that was where she got her hope and joy. We are all trusting in something. What is it for you? Now, many of the things we trust in are good things, relationships, jobs, good, good things. But if if they're our ultimate source of hope and joy, that brings two problems. The first is those things eventually desert us. We work and save our money, that's a good thing, but one recession threatens our security. It's a wonderful thing to have a great marriage, but if we put our hope ultimately, our ultimate hope in that, even that will eventually desert us because eventually someone's going to die. But the other problem, and the one this text gets at in trusting something other than God is (coughs) we become weather dependent. Jeremiah says if we trust in something other than God, that person will be like a bush in the wasteland. And the Hebrew there points to a particular kind of a plant that lives in the desert, and it has very shallow roots. So during the rainy season, it's fine, because there's water. But once the heat comes, the bush shrivels up, because its root isn't very deep. It's weather-dependent, dependent on its circumstances. So in the heat, the bush kind of thinks, well, all my problems are because it's not raining. If it were just rain, all my problems would be solved just like we all often think all my problems are because I don't have the grades I want or I don't have the job I want or the romantic partner or, or whatever it is. If this would just go away, if this circumstance would just change, I'd be just fine. If we trust in anything other than God, we're dependent on our circumstances for meaning, hope, and joy, and circumstances are very unreliable. So then what does it mean to trust in God? Because that can be kind of a vague Phrase. What does it mean to put our trust in God? A couple of things. First, it means God is what we ultimately count on. Not our money or our career or our looks. Not government or electing the right people. Not what God can give us, but God himself. Jeremiah says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. And in Hebrew, Hebrew he says it Twice. Trust in the Lord, trust is the Lord. Aren't those the same things? No, they're different. Because see, we can trust in God, we can go to church, we can pray and all of that, but then get really disappointed when He doesn't give us what we want, right? The, the, The job or the healing or the whatever it is. We trusted in God to give us stuff, but He Himself was not our trust. Our ultimate trust was in the thing we hoped He'd give us. But God doesn't always give us what we think we need. He gives us what we really need. What we ourselves would give ourselves if we knew as much as God knew. So to make God our trust means he's not a means to our end. He's the end in itself. Because my experience is, even in the hardest times when we experience God himself, his presence, not what he can give us, just him, it brings hope. And then we're not weather dependent. Because God will never let us down he'll always be there. Second, to trust God means you do what he says. Pastor John Ortberg talks about being on vacation and renting a car, and the guy at the counter said, do you want a GPS system? And John said, no, that'll cost a lot of money. I can get there on my own. Anyone want to guess what his wife said? Hit the GPS, right? So they got it. But John said, here's the thing. You can have the box, you know, the, the lady's voice telling you where to turn and all of that, but that doesn't mean you trust her. If you trust her, what do you do? You do what she says, right? If she says turn left, you turn left. To trust Jesus means I'm going to do what he says to do, starting with his commands in Scripture. Because I trust that what he wants the best for me. He wants me to have an awesome life. And his commands of what to do and not to do are the way I get to that awesome life. Now I'm going to screw up, but my intention is to do what God says. John said at one point he was absolutely sure that GPS was wrong. I actually do this all the time. I don't know, it's wrong, right? And the lady's voice said, go left, but he didn't trust her. So he unplugged it and got lost as a goose, right? which his wife enjoyed immensely. Right? So he plugged the GP- GPS back in, and, and you know what she said? She said, I told you so, you little idiot. You think I'm going to help you find your way now? Get, get home yourself, right? She didn't say that, but I actually always think that should be an option when getting a GPS. Right do you want the polite GPS or the one from New Jersey right it's up to you Right instead the GPS said recalculating route That's called grace I got an email from one of our deacons who had had been a prayer minister after one of our Sunday services. And she was in the prayer room waiting to pray with people. And she said, a woman came up to me not just crying, but sobbing. And she said, my son died two months ago, and I don't know what to do. Now, what you need to know about this prayer minister was that her son also died not too long ago. So the prayer minister minister said, while she was talking, my conversation with God consisted of, really God, you give me this person to pray for when you know I'm still grieving so much? But God said, that's exactly what I'm asking you to do. Trust me. So I took this woman by the hand and I said, let me tell you why you were meant to be here with me today. And I told her my story. And then her husband came up and this woman said, she gets it because she's lost a son too. We talked about our son's death on a deep level that's not always available. Why was I there? Because God knew I was needed to be with this couple for such a time as this. I was truly blessed that day. And as I approach the second year of our son's death, I know that God is at work making all things beautiful, even in grief. She trusted God, which meant she did what he said to do, and she got God himself. The pain of her loss is real, but God's presence brings hope and healing. God is her trust. Third, to trust Jesus means we rely on him to provide. <clears throat> a few verses after the verse, uh, text we read in Jeremiah, Jeremiah says this, Do not carry a load on the Sabbath day, or do any work but keep the Sabbath holy. What? We were talking about trees and trusting God, and now suddenly we're talking about the Sabbath. What's that got to do with trusting God? Everything. Because see, in an agrarian economy such as Jeremiah's, where, the, where when the harvest was ready, it was ready. To take a day off to worship was an act of profound trust that God would provide. It was a, it's a way of saying, my life will not be secured by my frantic busyness. God is my security. And if I miss a day of harvest, worshiping Him on the Sabbath, well, then God is going to see to it that my needs are met one way or another. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not involved, that we don't have work to do. Of course we do. And in many situations, we trust God to provide. But one of the things he provides is he shows us what actions to take, what steps to take to fix things, make things right. But there's a difference between anxiously striving and trusting God to provide and show us what to do. When I was doing college ministry, we had an annual winter retreat. And one year, I got this really great speaker, kind of broke the bank on this speaker and convinced a bunch bunch of students to come to this retreat because the speaker was going to be so awesome. But the day before, he called to say that he was sick and he couldn't come. We had 200 students signed up for this thing who I had sort of convinced to come because the speaker was going to be so amazing. So I was very worried. I felt a lot of stress because my trust wasn't in Jesus. It was in the speaker. So I got my staff together and whipped them into a frenzy of fear. And you know, we gotta fix this. And I'm pretty sure I said a quick, help me Jesus, amen, kind of a prayer, but I was gonna help Jesus help me, right? So we brainstormed ideas. Maybe if we made a funny video, have some great activities, and we were just getting into the zone, really problem solving, when one of the interns decided to go all spiritual on me and said, why don't we pray about this? And I said, we don't have time for that. Oh, wait, that sounds bad. So I said, okay, okay, I'll pray. And he said, no, let's really pray. So we took about 30 minutes and we prayed and we were silent and we listened and said, God, this is your problem. What do you want to do with it? And when we were done, one of the other interns said, I had this idea while we were praying. What if instead of a program for this retreat, what if we just read from the Bible, sang and worshiped and had communion? (laughs) Yeah, like, God's presence is going to be enough, right? Like, clearly this intern needed more training. But it sounded like a good idea. Actually, I thought it sounded awesome. So that's what we did. Best retreat we ever had. We had a long worship and communion time. Students were going up to people they'd been mad at and reconciling and forgiving. Students confessed sin they'd they'd never uh, uh, told anyone before about. Students on the fence about being Christians were saying, how do I get baptized? All with no speaker, all with no program, just God. And that actually changed how I did ministry from there on out. Now, we were still involved. We had to listen to God, and God showed us the steps we needed to take to fix the problem. But it was clear it was God that was doing it, not us. It was like sailing. We hoisted the sails, but the power that propelled us was the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah says, if we trust God, we will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Not if, but when, because the Bible is very realistic, and we all face some kind of heat at some point, major challenges in our life, or just the challenges of everyday living. But if our roots are in God, if we're drawing our hope and meaning and joy from Him, we are like that tree by the river. Maybe its leaves will wither a bit because of the heat, but it will still thrive because its roots are not in the weather, so the rain, it's in the river, so the rain can't harm it. The lack of rain can't harm it. When we feel overwhelmed, the problem is not always our circumstances. It's where our roots are. So then how do we learn to trust Jesus more? How do we learn to trust Jesus more? A couple of things, and pick one of these as your homework for this week, all right? First, you got to ask God for help. Jeremiah says, heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. And part of trusting Jesus is knowing we can't fix ourselves. So we got to ask for supernatural help. Jeremiah says we want to be like trees planted by a river. Trees don't plant themselves. They have to be planted by someone else. We need supernatural help to trust in Jesus. We can't do it. So pray this prayer. Jesus, help me trust you more and more. Second, talk to God more than you talk about God. Because see, a lot of our faith is about God. We know about God. We talk about God. But do we engage with God, not just by talking, but really listening to what he has to say to us through Scripture and through those thoughts he puts in our head? Third, resolve to trust God and declare it. Because sometimes it is a deliberate decision to trust God. And I find it helps to say it out loud. Right? When I'm in a difficult season, I'll say, Jesus, this is hard right now. But across the long arc of my life, you have always been faithful to me. So I will trust you now. Declare it. It helps to just resolve to d- trust Jesus and just declare it. No weapon formed against me can remain. Jesus, I will trust you. My whole life is found in your love. I trust nothing else and no one else. Jesus, you and you alone is where I put my trust. Resolve to do that and declare it. And then fourth, spiritual training exercises. Just like an athlete practices certain skills over and over again, God gives us training exercises to help us trust him more. I already mentioned one, which is Sabbath. My life will not be secured just by my anxious busyness. I will rest because God will provide. Another is to give at least 10% of our money away to God's work because that forces us to trust that he provides and he always does. Another would be to forgive someone who's harmed you because that forces us to trust that person to God. Let God deal with that person and also trust that what that person meant for harm. God will turn to good. So those are just a couple of ways we can get better at, at, at trusting in Jesus. Pick one of those. Do it as your homework this week because here's the bottom line. And if you take away nothing else from this sermon, take home this. We can trust Jesus Because Jesus is trustworthy. He's the only one that is completely trustworthy. You know, God over history has taken many people from a desert kind of experience to the river. He's taken people in this church, me, myself. He's taken many people from the desert to the river, but there's only one person that was taken from the river to the desert. And when Jesus was tempted, he was taken to the desert. When he was on the cross, he said, I thirst He took the punishment for your sin and for mine so that we could be brought to the river forgiven, whole, clean, reconciled to God. And having done all of that for us, is he not trustworthy? Can you trust that the God who is big enough to save your soul is also big enough to handle whatever you may face in life? There's a pastor named Stephen Foster. He used to be a lawyer, and he grew up very poor in a very rough neighborhood, but he was able to go to college, which nobody in his school had ever done before. And he was very focused on success and what other people thought about him. That's what he was trusting in, success and being well-respected. And he'd started following Jesus in high school, and that actually helped him avoid the temptation of drugs and crime that, was, that, that, that helped him get out of that neighborhood in the first place. So he owed Jesus a lot. And in college, Stephen had this one professor who he really admired and whose good opinion he craved. But this professor hated Christians. And one day in class, just went off on Christians, how stupid they were and how primitive and on and on. And then the professor said, no one here believes this stuff, right? Only he didn't say stuff. <coughs> and Stephen said, Stephen said, I was in the front row and the professor looked all around the class and then he looked at me and I looked down And I shook my head, no. He said, until that moment, I didn't know how much I cared about success and what other people thought of me. I denied knowing Jesus, who had done so much for me, helped me get out of poverty. And not just Jesus, he denied himself because he wasn't free to be who he really was because he was so afraid of what other people might think of him and his own success because that's where his trust was. Well, a few years later, he had some experiences of God's grace that kind of changed him. And one of those experiences was when he was ready to ask his girlfriend to marry him, he went to ask her dad for permission, which required him to, to drive nine hours each way. So as he was leaving, Stephen's dad said, look, you're pretty excited. Just drive carefully so you don't have an accident. And Stephen thought, whatever, old man. You so know where this is going, right? So he drove off, got his girlfriend's dad's consent and all of that, and on the way back, got in an accident and smashed up the car, basically totaled it, had to call his dad and say, I wrecked the car, and then drive it home. And as he pulled up to the house, he thought, all right, let the shouting begin, right? But he wasn't the only one anticipating shouting. He said his little brother had literally chosen the best seat in the house and had made himself some snacks and... When Stephen walked in, had a big smile on his face, just kind of waiting for the fireworks, right? But instead, his parents said, Stephen, how did it go with Beth's dad? Did he say yes? Tell us all about it. And Stephen was shocked. And his little brother looked very concerned. And he blurted out, Stephen totaled the car. You've got to yell at him. And Stephen said he realized how much his parents loved him. But he also re- realized that God loved him even more than his parents. And it led to a profound experience of the Holy Spirit where he felt God's love in physical, tangible ways that left him a different man. Less fearful, God himself became his trust. Well, one of the fruits of that was he called up his old professor and he said, do you want to go for a pint? They're British, so that's what they do over there. And so they got together and the professor said, Stephen, you've always been one of my favorite students and I'm so excited about your future as a lawyer. You're going to do great things. You're going to make a ton of money. And Stephen said, well, actually, I'm not interested in making money. I want to use the law to make a difference. And the professor said, Stephen, you're worrying me. That's the kind of thing a Christian would say. And Stephen said, I am a Christian. And he said, at that point, the professor looked really confused, right? Like, but you're my favorite student, but... You're a Christian. My worldview is falling apart. See, evangelism is just confusing people. That's all it is. (laughs) And he said, well, why didn't you say something when I went on all those rants against Christians? And Stephen said, I was afraid. But now I can tell you what I believe. And they talked. And as Stephen left, he said, Jesus, you have placed me here. Use me to show people who you really are. I trust in you. I don't need success. I don't need the approval of others. I don't need a lot of fancy toys. I don't need anything, Jesus. I trust in you. You are my hope. And he felt stronger and freer, and he could be himself. Because he'd switched his trust from success and approval to Jesus. Not what Jesus could give him, Jesus himself. Just the experience of his love, which he experienced through his parents and through the Holy Spirit. And when his trust was in Jesus, he was unworried and free. So what are you really trusting in? Because if I'm honest, yeah, I trust Jesus, but I also trust a whole lot of stuff, and I also fail to trust Jesus in a whole lot of ways. There's grace, and there's also help from the Holy Spirit to get better at it. What is it for you? So this week, can you try one of those homework steps I gave you to help you trust Jesus more? Because that brings freedom, but more importantly, because you see, Jesus really is ultimately trustworthy. To paraphrase Pastor S.M. Lockridge, Jesus is enduringly strong and eternally steadfast. He's the sinner's savior. He's unparalleled and he's unprecedented. He died for you and he can meet all of your needs. In other words, you can trust him. He sympathizes and he sees, he guards and he guides, he heals the sick, cleanses the leper, discharges debtors, delivers the captives and defends the defenseless. In other words, you can trust him. His promise is sure. His mercy is everlasting. His grace is sufficient. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. The Pharisees couldn't stand him. Pilate couldn't stop him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. He is Alpha, Omega, beginning and end, the first and the last, the doorway of deliverance, the path of peace, the roadway of righteousness, highway of holiness, the gateway to glory. He is Prince of princes, Governor of governors, King of kings, and Lord of lords. What I'm trying to tell you, church, is you can trust him. Amen. So we put our trust in you, Jesus. We resolve to trust you. We declare it. Pry our hands off of all those other things we grab onto so tightly that ultimately fail and ultimately desert us. Because Jesus, you and you alone are Lord. And in you and in you alone we put our hope, and we put our trust in your name. Amen.